Welcome to another exciting edition of The Difference. I'm Dan O'Donnell of News Talk 1130 WISN, 1310 WIVA as well. And I am joined by the president and CEO of Annex Wealth Management, Dave Spano. We talk every week about the intersection of politics and finance and how that intersection and all of it impacts your bottom line. And Dave, really for the next Oh, 60 days or so, the intersection is going to be ever more acute as the midterm elections are November 8th. We have got a brand new inflation reading. We have got the Fed meeting next week. I mean, it is just an incredibly, incredibly jam-packed sprint to the midterm elections. And then, oh, by the way, we're going to decide who is essentially setting fiscal policy in Congress for the next two years. Yeah, that is really, that's a lot, isn't it? And, uh, you know, we've been watching uh, this uh, stocks that would be that would do well under a Democratic leadership or a Republican leadership. And interestingly enough, the Democratic uh, stocks that we've been watching have really rallied since the post uh, row decision, which is which is ironic. So this whole idea of a, uh, a red wave has diminished at least. Uh, according to some of the stocks that we're watching. But we need to pay attention to it because if the Democrats somehow win uh, on both the House and the Senate, there is already talk that they're going to go back and try to finish their work on Build Back Better, which would mean all of the stuff that uh, was not in there. So uh, important information. And at the same time, not just here in the United States, what's happening around the world, Dan, uh, you know, we saw new information out of Ukraine and Russia over the weekend, and of course, what's happening in Europe, all of that has an effect. So yes, politics will be front and center over the next uh, 60 to 90 days for certain. Yeah, and the most important thing that's going to factor in, obviously, is the Federal Reserve. So it takes the CPI number, it takes the uh, employment number, which is very high. Unemployment is very, very low, which has led to the the Democrat argument that we are not and haven't yet been in a recession, I think, frankly, and I think you do too, that that's nonsense. Clearly, we've been in a recession, the definition of a recession, two consecutive quarters of negative growth. We had that first and second quarters of 2022. But the Fed is going to take a look at all of this data, and then the, the decision is going to be 50 or 75 basis points. Maybe even 100. Maybe even 100. You think that's that's a possibility? Yeah, the economists, there's some economists who are starting to float that that said, that's are saying, you know, that's hit it hard. So but the street, uh, you know, betting places are have it at 75 basis points. But 100 is still on the table. Just want to throw that out there. Do you think that's particularly likely? I mean, I I think... No, no, it's the, the most likely scenario is 75 basis points because we saw that out of two other central banks last week, uh, both of the Bank of England and the Bank of, of Canada, both raised 75 basis points. So that kind of clears the way for us to do that as well. I mean, to do less than that, I think, would be slightly shocking. We'll see We'll see this week about a CPI report. But as you're saying, uh, you know, there is there, when they raise rates, uh, that is on purpose. And that is, of course, to intentionally slow down the economy. They haven't seen that in the jobs report still uh, unemployment rate at three and a half percent. So when Powell talks about they know there's going to be pain, the pain that they're talking about, of course, is not only a slowing economy, but the loss of jobs for every one percent 
that the unemployment rate goes up. That's equivalent to nearly 1.6 million jobs in this country. So if they get it back to just 5.5%, that's more than 3 million jobs lost in this country. And, of course, some sectors are going to be more affected than others. What sectors do you think those would be? Well, usually on the lower end of the economic scale is is generally where those are. And, of course, I'll leave the politics to you, but the Democrats, of course, have been courting uh, a certain demographic for certain. And if those jobs are lost and they are intentionally doing that, you know, there's there's a certain argument to be made that, you know, some people in some demographics are going to get hit much harder. And so if they intentionally do that, I think that's a tough way to go into uh, an election. And so that's the reason why we're watching it, because as you led off with, which is really on point, if the Democrats somehow continue to control both the House and the Senate, the purse strings are controlled, and then, of course, policy will be uh, affected as well. If the Republicans could win, for example, the House, which is likely, then at least there's they have the purse strings, as you well know. Yeah, and markets generally like divided government because the right. pendulum can't swing too far one way or another. That's right. And so, but there's there's different sectors that are going to continue to uh, are do well. I mean, look at what's happening. Of course, you know, even if this Ukraine and Russia scenario, you know, if, if we get to a ceasefire, Ukraine, of course, announced uh, this weekend that they have uh, made some advances and took back some cities. We have to watch what's happening with energy because China is slowing down. There's still lockdowns over there. Europe, obviously, is is headed into a, a massive recession. And so that is what we're looking at. And if energy prices uh, are a big deal, but that doesn't mean that there's not gonna, going to be profitable sectors in the energy space, which there has been. That's the one sector that has been doing really well. So, uh, you know, there, there's other places you see uh, Walmart has done very well. Dick Sporting Good have, has done really well. So there are places to invest. And so we have to watch interest rates. They are the most important part of this conversation because they value everything. They value bonds. They value stocks. They value real estate. So as they start to raise interest rates, and if they start getting to more of a 4% uh, Fed funds rate, which is just unconceivable from where they were with 25 basis points you know, recently, that is a big effect across the industry. Is the era of low interest rates over? Yeah, yeah, you have to think that you know quantitative tightening, which started after the great financial crisis in '08, and that was of course just trillions, trillions. Literally, there's eight trillion dollars that is now on the Fed's balance sheet. That money going into the economy created what we used to call TINA, which is there is no alternative. And so you know you would buy stocks because interest rates were so low yeah. that they were they. So while well, that is changing. And so if quantitative tightening, which we're in right now, if quantitative tightening continues, it's there won't be a TINA. There is going to be an alternative. Just real simply, if you go to the bank now and you can get a 4 or 5% CD, not saying that you can, but it's headed there, there is an alternative now to taking risk in equities, and that has gone away. And so we look at yields, the S&P yield, and what stocks are above or below the Treasury yield, and it's called risk premium. That is changing right now, and so maybe there won't be Tina, and that's the reason why you know you have to you have to know what you own. But we're still a long way away from a CD or you know a money market account or something like that getting anywhere near the return the stock market has in the last ten years or even historically, right? 
Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so you look at what historically stock markets have returned, call it 9% or so in the S&P 500 over the long term. But most people aren't 100% in stocks, right? They have a balanced portfolio for many reasons to control risk. Uh, it would be the biggest reason, but 60, 40, 70, 30. And so what quantitative easing did uh, is it certainly made, you know, grandma who would never have bought a, a dividend paying stock to go out and do that because she could ladder her CDs, right? And I'm just making a demographic example here. But when interest rates go up, there are alternatives. You're not going to go to the bank anymore and look up on the board for that, the CD rate, and it begins with a decimal. That was for years. Mm-hmm. That's what we saw. Now it can, be, it can start with a whole number. So people can still get something for their assets. And that's really the reason why we're talking about this move from quantitative easing to quantitative tightening. Dan, I will tell you, over you know 37 years that I've been doing this, this is a significant sea change right here. Realistically, though, and, and before we get into this, uh, I do need to remind you that when there is this sort of sea change, when there is this time of uncertainty, whether it's from the election, the situation in Ukraine, uh, the Federal Reserve, all of it sort of in this this stew of uncertainty, if you will, you really need to be working with a fee-only fiduciary who is working with and more importantly working for you. And that's why we always urge you to head to AnnexWealth.com to get a free portfolio review. It's called a free wealth metric. And you want to know what you own and why you own it. But as you see this sea change, uh, Dave, there is sort of the the fear, or at least the idea, I don't know if it's necessarily a fear, long term it probably is, that the country, not just the market, but everyone, everything, the nation's economy has become so addicted and so dependent upon low interest rates that if they stay high, if we enter a longer period of quantitative tightening, that the recession that produces, that the economy is sort of like a frightened turtle and it kind of recedes into its shell, that that itself would be devastating in 2023. And we could see an extended sort of recession that that lasts quarter after quarter after quarter, couldn't we? I hope not. So, I mean, you used some words there which were devastating and long-lasting. So, there is a lot of evidence, though, that even though we could have go back into a recession in 2023, will it be devastating? The argument by the, the bulls is that there is still a lot of money, trillions of dollars in the hands of corporations, still a lot of money in the hands of individuals who are able to go out and spend. And, of course, the banks are much, much better uh, finance than they were at the great financial crisis. So there could be a slowdown, but maybe it's not a devastating sl- slowdown. And so that's the reason why there's opportunities. You do see, for example, in real estate prices, and there are some places where they're stabilizing. They're not going backwards. They're stabilizing. You know, houses that uh, used to get five offers are now getting five looks instead, right? And so that's the reason why we're watching this right now. And of course, that is important. I'm going to send you something that uh, we can talk about next week, which is really what portfolios do well under a Democratic leadership or Republican leadership. And the reason why I bring it out is because if they want to spend more money, the Democrats in this case, that is inflationary at the same time the Fed is trying to fight this thing with with both gloves on. But that that fight, it it almost seems like it has always been too little too late. 
You know, yeah, it, it, it yeah. seems as though no it, inflation is one about the first seven or eight rounds of this fight. And yeah. now we're looking for a desperation knockout punch. Yep. Yeah. No question. They, they were way too late. I remember uh, it had been, you know, 18 months ago when I said to you and we had a discussion about transitory and I laughed out loud and said that they're going to have to do something about that because that is not what's not happening. If you look into inflation and how it's defined, you know, rental uh, rental equivalency is a big part of the inflation definition. That's happening. Energy prices is a big part. Wages are a big part. And all of those, those aren't temporary. Those aren't transient. And so what, with, of course, the Fed had to get away from that term. Now it's stuck. And now it's that you're trying to start to, you know, put out a fire that they let go way too long. And so in my mind, that was a policy mistake that they let that go on. I think the Federal Reserve actually would, uh, would concur with that, with that idea. What do they do now? Do they tighten too much that they send us into a deep recession? That is the reason why this meeting on uh, coming up, uh, that the Fed meeting coming up is so important. Because if they come out and say, we're going to raise it 75 basis points and then become, air quotes here, data dependent, do they continue to stay on the job? There is an argument, Dan, that they shouldn't do that, that they should continue on it to get inflation under control. But because a stop and go could produce a 1970s economy that was stagflation. So do you think the market is already pricing in 75 basis point hike? I do. I do. I do. I, I think they, they know that that's coming. What they don't know is what to follow. The Fed funds rate should, according to the market, be around four, uh, about 4% which it's not right now. So that does mean that there's another rate hike coming or the market's going to adjust to it. So all of this, folks, means there are places to make money, but you have to do it on a balanced way. You have to make sure your portfolio is balanced for sure, number one. And number two is the stuff that you own is important. I mean, if you, if you have a portfolio that was set up three years ago and you haven't touched it, you may be in the wrong sector. So I would say go to AnnexWealth.com, hit that Get Started button. We'll help you through this process, number one. And number two, go to that Know the Difference checklist. There's so much difference between financial uh, advisors, between fee-only fiduciary, uh, between Who's on the team? You know, we have lawyers and CPAs and PhDs on our team. All of this is really important. You should know the difference between financial advisors. And that's why we are here each and every week on The Difference to help you know what you should be in, what you should be doing, and to help you along on that journey. For Dave Spano, the president and CEO of Annex, I'm Dan O'Donnell saying thanks for listening. Annex Wealth Management is a registered investment advisor. For more information about our firm, please visit AnnexWealth.com. The information in this podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only and is subject to change without notice. Opinions expressed are those of the participants and don't necessarily reflect those of Annex Wealth Management, its producers, hosts, or guests. The host of the podcast is compensated for his endorsement of Annex Wealth Management. Information presented should not be construed as tax, legal, or investment advice, or a recommendation or solicitation for the sale of any product or strategy. Listeners are encouraged to seek advice from qualified professionals to determine whether any information presented may be suitable for their specific situation. Investments involve risks. Neither Annex Wealth Management nor its podcast participants shall be liable for losses resulting from decisions based on information or viewpoints presented on this podcast.